Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, whether it's a a paper one or electronic version, uh, if you would like to, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. I want to tell you a little bit about the first year of my marriage. If you've been to Green Tree and you've heard any of my story or if we've ever had a cup of coffee together, you've asked me about this. Some of this might be repetitive, but... uh, uh, when I was, uh, when we were first married, I was working for a church called Look I'm Out Presbyterian Church, and I was the director of their uh, student ministries, middle school and high school student. And uh, when Cindy and I got married, the first Sunday after we got married, I said to her, now I'm probably not going to be able to sit with you in church because I got to sit with the kids. I got to hang out with them. So you may have to sit by yourself during church. Yes, I was professing to be a believer in Jesus and, and a husband. Uh, I also uh, said to her the first Friday night after we were married, I was leaving to, uh, to go to work, and I was actually going to one of the local high school football games to do contact time with students. And she said, where are you going and when are you going to be home? And I said, I'm going where I'm going, and I'll be home when I get home. <laughs> I'm glad you can laugh about that. <laughs> I even went so far a few months later to get her birthday on the wrong day. And as I've confessed before, I gave her her birthday present on the birthday of the only other girl I dated seriously (laughs) before meeting her. All those stories are true. And you thought you had problems in your marriage. You see, here was the issue. I was married, but I wasn't acting like a husband. I have people come into my office or grab a cup of coffee together or even uh, maybe a cigar now and then. And they, uh, they say to me, I'm a little frustrated with my relationship with Jesus. And the more that we talk and the more we unpack that, what they're really frustrated with uh, typically is the way they're acting. They'll say things like, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but, but I'm not honoring Christ in my life. I want my behavior to change. I want to act more like a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I always have kind of the same answer as we start the conversation, as we start to begin to, to talk about how maybe things can change, and I typically lead with something along the lines of our actions or our behavior are born out of our thoughts. Now, my parents accused me when I was younger of acting before I thought, but the facts were my thoughts were so bad that I did stuff that really got me into trouble, but it wasn't because I didn't think. It wasn't because I didn't stop to consider what I was going to do. I did stop to consider, and I went ahead and did it anyway. You don't act without thinking comes to discipleship as well. What does it mean to think like a disciple of Jesus? Until I begin to think as a disciple of Jesus, until I begin to submit my intellect to his word and to his power, I'm not going to have much success in my behavior changing to look more like him. So what we want to consider this morning is what does it mean to think like Jesus? Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul was talking to the Corinthians about this wrestling match that goes on in our minds. And we, we want to follow the Lord, but we, we don't always uh, execute the right way. And he said this, we take every thought captive to obey Christ, right? So there's, a, there's an intentionality on the part of the apostle Paul because he knows that his mind can take him in directions he ought not go. He knows that he can think very uh, unchristlike thoughts and that will lead to an unchristlike life pattern. And so he said, I have to literally take each of these thoughts and, and, and wrestle them to the ground and make them captive 
in order that I might follow Christ, in order that I might obey him. So that's what we want to consider this morning. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, we're not going not to read through this entire passage, but what I want you to listen for and look for is a repetitive phrase that happens six times, beginning in Matthew chapter, what we call Matthew 5, 21, all the way through the end of the chapter. So a full third of the Sermon on the Mount, as we call Matthew 5, 6, and 7, starts with these paragraphs that say, you have heard it said, and then Jesus will say something about what they've heard, either by teaching or by repetition. And then he'll say, but I say to you, and he will offer some kind of uh, correction or confrontation to what's wrong uh, or a, a better understanding of what was intended behind what was taught. In other words, he's teaching his disciples how to think. He's teaching them how to worship with their intellect and submit their thinking to his influence and to his power and to his authority in order that their lives would reflect his grace and his mercy and his love and his compassion. And I don't think there'd be a whole lot of argument within the room this morning, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, that we need more grace and mercy and love and compassion in our culture today. And the sooner we begin thinking the way Jesus calls us to think, the sooner our lives will reflect that. So let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to teach us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you uh, care enough about us and love us enough to teach us. Fathers, we've worshiped you with, with our emotions and we've, uh, we've sung the praises and glories of Jesus as we've spent time to just to say hello to one another and to uh, welcome each other into fellowship this morning. Father, we come now to, to worship you with our minds. We come now to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. Lord, we don't come here on Sundays because we are anxious to hear what the next person has to say. My words carry no authority. Uh, they're only, uh, they're my words. They're just my opinion, my influenced by my own bias, my own sinfulness and brokenness, my own limited knowledge. Lord, we can get that 24-7. What we need, and the reason why many of us are here, is because we long for your truth to penetrate our hearts and our lives. Some of our lives are just an absolute mess this morning. We could barely get here. It's, all, it's virtually impossible for us to smile because we know the brokenness of this world. Others of us are here, Lord, this morning, breathing a sigh of relief because it wasn't, wasn't too bad of a week. Lord, some of us uh, have not really engaged with you yet today, and we're feeling a bit smug and a bit self-confident. So, Lord, we all have the same thing in common. We need your word, not my words. It's that for which we pray. Father, you know my sin, so I confess it to you freely. I ask that you would forgive me, and don't let me stand in the way of what you want to teach us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, sermon in a sentence, you probably kind of already figured out where we're headed. Disciples, so if you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, we must learn to follow Jesus with our intellect if our lives are going to conform to his lordship. It's important that we get it in that order. We think and then we behave. Now, before I dive too deeply into this, I do want to mention that the foundation of this sermon comes from a guy named Zach Eswine. Zach is a pastor at one of our church plants, uh, Riverside Church over in Webster Groves. He also leads the homiletics or the preaching department 
at Covenant Seminary, and I teach a class there in the fall in advanced homiletics, and we had our faculty meeting. That's so funny to use my name and faculty in the same sentence. We had our faculty meeting on Monday, and we were outlining where we wanted to kind of take our preaching classes this fall, and, and the basis for this sermon is really comes from Zach. So I, I promised him that I uh, would not plagiarize, but I would give him due credit for laying the foundation for much of what you're going to hear this morning. But I want to look at four different aspects of this phrase. You have heard it said, but I say to you, and we're going we're gonna to highlight a certain word in the phrase each time we go through it. We're going to go through it four times. The first time I want to highlight the word it. You have heard it said, but I say to you. There, there's a message that, that's been cro- proclaimed. There's a message that God intends for us. Clarity is extremely important when it comes to our relationship with God. There's something that he wants us to understand. There's something that he wants us to hear, and we must not miss it, nor should we dismiss it, right? Missing it means we're, we're maybe just not quite paying enough attention. You know, we might be, I'm, I'm a little bit ADD, uh, I'm not too embarrassed to admit that. And sometimes I can skim through something and not, not read all of it carefully. If you send me an email, don't leave the most important thing in the email to the fourth sentence, okay? Because I'm not going to get it, and I won't be wherever you think I'm going to be for our meeting if it's in sentence number four, right? I, I tend to skim through things pretty quickly. I tend to bring that, that, that habit to my study of the Word of God. I can miss things, but I can also be dismissive of things. I can say, well, I, I get that, I understand it, but, but I'm going to choose to ignore that. Uh, I remember when I first got serious about, uh, about my own giving and my own tithing and my own uh, journey into generosity, which still has a long, long way to go. But I remember the day I settled in my mind, it didn't matter how many bills I had, it didn't matter how much I had messed up my budget, I was going to, I was going to obey the voice of Jesus when it came to my giving. And it settled a lot of things for me. And it made me pay a whole lot more attention to my finances and, and, and helped me concentrate on digging out of the mess that I had created for myself and for my family, right? But I could be dismissive of that. So I'd give more, but, but I got too many bills to pay, right? And, and God's like, Tom, you're dismissing, right? So we have to be careful not to miss or dismiss. We must ask, what is God saying, right? But also, am I listening? It's not just enough that God is saying it. If, if my mind is not listening and taking in what he is instructing. I think all of us could agree we were horrified by what happened in Charlottesville recently. I think we would all in, in uniformity say we condemn the act of those white supremacists and the, the life that was taken and the, and the people that were injured. I think we would all agree that that was a, a heinous activity that we pray will never be repeated, but we know we live in a fallen, broken world, and it's kind of like, you know, it's only a matter of time. But one thing I do, I, I've done ever since 9-11, is Sunday morning, the first thing I do when I get up, now that I have a phone, I look at my phone, what do I do? I go to the newspaper, right? So I want to find out what crisis we may be facing when we get to church on Sunday morning. That's the world in which we live. But we would all agree that hate-filled activity like that has, should have no place in our culture. Jesus said this, you have heard it said, it, what was it by those long ago, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable of judgment. And in this case, Jesus is saying, that's good, but here's the clarification. It doesn't go far enough. What's the real message? Here's the real message. I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable of the hell of fire. We must ask ourselves, not only what is God saying, but I am I listening? Because what God is saying in this passage is that hatred is hatred is hatred. And it doesn't matter what expression it takes. If we have people that have hatred in our heart, we stand condemned already. How can I judge another? Not, I can judge an, an action and say that was wrong. But how can I judge another as if I don't have that sin? Do you really think I'm going to stand up here and try to convince you that I don't have any hatred in my heart towards certain people that, that, that I don't like, that, that treat me wrong, or that I haven't had hatred in my heart, even towards family members when I'm, when I'm angry with them? Of course not. That would be absurd. But are we willing to hear this and not dismiss it? And not just, not just look at our culture and say what needs to change, but be willing to look at our own heart and, and examine ourselves through the lens of what Jesus is saying here. Uh, one of our church members, Kristen Prona, was published in the August 16th issue of Relevant, which is a, a, it's an electronic magazine now, uh, used to be a magazine. Might, they might still sell hard copies of it. Uh, but she wrote an article called Four Ways to Confront Your Own Bias. And I read it this week, and it was really an outstanding uh, article, not because it made me feel good about myself, but because it forced me to li- dig a little deeper and to really ask the question, is Jesus' love really being expressed through me? Well, am I thinking that way in order for the Lord to change my behavior? There's a clarity of message, and we, we ought not miss or dismiss. But secondly, let's look at this phrase a little bit differently. Let's concentrate on a couple of different words. You have heard it said but I say to you, so on and so forth. Culture has a message for us, right? Our world speaks in a certain way, but the message of Jesus stands apart from the norms of our world. So as Jesus is looking at what his immediate listeners in his his congregation that day had experienced, he knew that their culture spoke certain things into their lives that were not part of his message. And it's, it's important for disciples of Jesus to acknowledge the influence and evaluate the messages that we receive, not through our own wisdom, not, oh, did I like that show or not like that show? Did I like that book or not like that book? Do I agree with that particular article or disagree with that particular article based on, on, on what I think, but rather through the lens of Scripture? Am I willing to hold everything up to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I need to understand that there are a lot of different messages floating around out there. So Jesus uses one as an example in verses 38 and 39. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That is absolutely, completely counterintuitive to to our culture. If America says anything, America says stand up for yourself. America says, make sure you get your rights. Don't let anybody trample on you in any way, shape, or form. And Jesus says, if somebody wants to trample on you because you're my disciple to the point that they're going to slap you, turn the cheek and let them slap you again. Now, you might not be physically slapped for being a Christian in our generation in America, but you're certainly being intellectually slapped. You're certainly being uh, mocked for being a Christian. You're certainly being ridiculed uh, as someone who is anti-intellectual if you're following Jesus. And what are you going to do about that? You're going to turn the other cheek? I don't want to. (laughs) 
I'd rather stand up and say, let me tell you how anti-intellectual you are, Mr. So-and-so, right? I want to take care of myself. I want to make sure that, that nobody pushes me around. And Jesus says, why don't you, Tom, leave that to me? And why don't you just think the way I want you to think and let me do what I'm going to do? You may go to some hard places. You may find yourself in some difficult circumstances. I let him slap me on the other cheek. And what that meant for me was the cross. It meant that I had to die so that you could experience salvation. I had to pray the same prayer I'm teaching others to forgive our enemies. So I'm asking you to follow me where I'm leading you. I'm asking you to to experience the world the way I experience the world in order that God's grace and mercy may abound. We need to allow God to define our messages, to train our mind to trust God, even when it's scary, even when it's difficult, and let him be our savior, let him be our defender. Thirdly, you have heard it said, but I say to you, right? So there's a transition that's going on here. Jesus says, we're going to go in a, in a little bit different direction. And what he's speaking to there, I believe, is the condition of our souls. Because the condition of your soul and the condition of my soul demand divine intervention if we are to have a real and lasting hope. I can't save myself. The world tells me I can. The world says to hope in my own ability to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I can make a way of salvation possible for me. Now this might be in a context of religion or might simply be in the context of the secular world and saying you can save yourself for this lifetime. You can make a lot of money, you can have a lot of things, you can have a lot of wealth, you can have a lot of prestige, you can have a lot of honor and strive after those things and you'll find salvation. And Jesus says the condition of our souls is radically different. We need something different. They've said that, but let me tell you a different pathway. And Jesus speaks to the human condition in many places in Scripture. But I've narrowed it down to just four words that I think describe our condition and our need for the divine intervention. First of all, we're fallen. Every person in this room has either made mistakes that have hurt people or have intentionally done actions that have hurt other people. We've lied to one another. We've stolen. We've cheated. We've been angry. We've lost our tempers. We've said cutting words. We've gossiped. There's no end to the litany of things that you and I have done day in and day out in our lives that are offensive to God and hurtful to other people. We are fallen. We do not live as we ought. But secondly, we are also finite, which means we're limited in our scope of understanding. I hear a lot of times and occasionally I even think to myself, you know, Lord, are you, are you really in charge up there? Are you really letting this happen the way it happens? And I have to remind myself that God calls me to trust in him and to trust him with my finiteness. To say to God, I'm going to intellectually understand that you are eternally more vast than me and your knowledge and your understanding and your wisdom. You know everything from the beginning to the end. And so even though it doesn't make sense to me right now, even though I don't get it why this person is suffering this way or this experience happened, I'm going to trust you because I see a small fraction. I'm going to give my limited understanding to your lordship. Not only are we finite, but we're also fragile, which means we've been hurt by others. It means that there have been moments in our lives when we have been sinned against when someone else has wronged us and where we've maybe said, God, where are you in this moment? Why did you allow this type of attack to happen in my life? Why have I been called on to suffer in this way? And we feel a brokenness and a weight 
but we also are faltering, which means even though we seek to be disciples that follow Jesus in our intellect and in our action, we don't always get it right. In fact, sometimes, quite frankly, we make a mess of things, right? You know, it wasn't just Peter that denied Jesus three times, right? It wasn't just Jonah that God said, go this way, and he decided to go that way because both of them were faltering men. They represent you and me this morning. And we need to understand that as disciples of Jesus, the condition of our souls demand his grace and his mercy. But the more we think about that, the more our lives can actually change. And I want to take you to some of the verses later on in Matthew 5 for this. Matthew 5, 43 through 44. If it wasn't bad enough to turn the other cheek, right, to be kind to the the enemies, we actually got to go a step further according to Jesus if we want to be like him intellectually and with our behavior. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not only do we stop one thing, <laughs> but we start something else, we replace it. I, I don't know how many enemies I have. People don't typically come up to you, up to you and say, D Powers, I'll use you as an example because you're not my enemy as far as I know. D probably wouldn't walk up to me and say, Tom, I just want to tell you, this is for our relationship to really be in a good place. I want you to understand, I hate your guts. I'm your enemy, right? That just doesn't happen very often. You don't have, people aren't that honest with you. They'll, they'll, they'll do it. And D is not that person. Um, but every once in a while, somebody will make it known that they're your enemy. So I do know a couple of people that kind of would rather Tom Ricks not be around, right? And my natural reaction is to say, well, uh, I'll hate them back, right? They hate me. I'll hate them back, right? And God says, Tom, let's stop and think about that the way I think about that, right? Do you remember that while you were my enemy, my son died for you? Do you remember that I, I didn't just pray for you, but I actually gave myself for you? That I sacrificed myself in order that you, my enemy, could have life? Maybe it would be a good thing for you to think about praying for your enemy. And I've come under a lot of conviction in a very good way. I don't mean in a, in a, in a heavy and an awful way, in a very good way. I've come under conviction that I have the privilege of praying for my enemies. So I try every day. I, I miss a lot, but I try every day to remember to pray for those people that, that, that wish me ill instead of, instead of good things. And not just to pray that if they happen to be walking by a faltering wall that it would topple over on top of them, right? But rather to pray for them that, that, that they would experience the blessing of God in their lives. Jesus says, but <laughs> we're going to go in a different direction. And then the fourth observation here is that you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and here's kind of where the rubber meets the road this morning. If you just been kind of politely uh, listening a little bit, here's where, if you're a disciple of Jesus, let me beg you to tune in for, for this point, because this is the, by far the most important. We need to understand the place that Jesus has in our lives. He is not our advisor. He has never offered to be your best buddy who, who gives you a good thought every once in a while. All right. Jesus is not, you know, like you see on the bumper sticker, he has no interest in being your co-pilot, right? Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You, you may or may not believe that this morning. That's okay, right? We hope if, if you don't believe it, you'll keep coming back and considering it. Because if you ever come to the realization that that's true and that he loves you beyond you could even begin to imagine, don't you want the most powerful person in the universe loving you beyond more than you could imagine? I mean, it really is good news, right? But we need to understand that Jesus 
is Lord. People try to persuade us about all kinds of things, politics and sports teams and, and who to root for and that sort of thing. Is Jesus just one more voice in my life that I, that I consider? Or do I understand that he is my center? He is the rock upon which I stand. We're actually going to look at this text in a few weeks. He's the vine to which I must be connected. And he has total authority. He has final say in my life. If I don't end there, if I don't, if I don't land on that place, then all I'm left with is a sense of, of human uh, morality that I'll kind of try to be a good person as I define it. Not as you define it, as I define it. And you can define it the way you want to define it. You can define it the way you want to define it. Hopefully we'll all kind of overlap a little bit and get along. But at the end of the day, I'm left with, with a human morality that may or may not fit with yours. Or I'm left with a sense of self-righteousness. Well, I'm sure trying to do the right thing. How you just aren't trying hard enough. If the rest of you out there would work as hard as I'm working, then we'd all be okay. Or we're left simply with a life motivated by guilt. So I was Ubering on Friday. Some of you know that I drive Uber every once in a while just out of sheer human curiosity more than anything else. And uh, I picked up a woman who grew up in here in Cargo, but doesn't live in Cargo. She was in town visiting friends and she was going out to pick up her car out in St. Charles. So that's actually a really good fare if you're Uber. And I, 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 I did okay on that one. But uh, we, were, we were probably just barely headed north on 270 uh, from Doherty Ferry when we got into a theological conversation. And I didn't lead with I'm a pastor, right? We started talking about how we grew up and what we were taught and what we learned. And about halfway through the trip, she says to me, I am so filled with guilt. My whole life is, is built on, I, I got to do the right thing because I've been made to feel guilty and God's going to crush me if I, if I don't do the right thing. And so I'm trying not to, you know, steer off the road with this one opportunity. I said, well, sister, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to, to set us free from that guilt. We are guilty. He set us free. All we, all we got to do is trust in him. And, and that guilt can, can go away in a moment. And she paused for a second and she said, you know what? That's right. I forgot. I grew up in church. I, I remember that now. And then she said, who are you? <laughs> I am Uber pastor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's so, so goofy. It's so silly. You know, and we didn't stop on the side of the road and baptize her right then and there, but, <laughs> but it's, if Jesus isn't the final authority, then, you know, good luck limping home because a lot of it's going to be guilt motivated. And that's why Jesus says, but I say to you, because what Jesus says is grace and mercy, compassion and love, unconditional and unending. And that's how we need to think because our behavior mirrors our thinking. We need to think in line with our Lord Jesus. What will that mean in our lives? Well, just a couple of thoughts on that this morning. The first is this. When you think about the time you have in reflection, and that might be early in the morning, it might be late at night, it might be while you're at the gym working out and you put on a set of, set of headphones and maybe you listen to a sermon or, or a devotional, but where, the place where you have that, that time alone with the Lord, right? Is, does the Word of God, uh, you know, really the thing that, that 
makes up most of your reflective time, or are there other influences? Now, I'm not saying it's still, I know everybody went back to school, but technically it's still summertime for about another month. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, you know, going in the backyard and, and opening up a good spy novel or, or whatever and just sitting down and reading something for the fun of it. I'm not saying that, that you know, looking at the latest Netflix series, like that's something bad or evil. I'm not saying you shouldn't have downtime just to rest, but in that time that you set apart to reflect. And if you don't set that time apart to reflect, then let, let's talk about that. Let's, let, let's, let's help create those margins. There, there are plenty of, of mature disciples of Jesus. If, if you're struggling with just finding time to be with them, there are plenty of folks that could encourage you and walk with you through that. But have that time in order to allow the word of God to be what it's supposed to be, the, the power behind your thinking, the foundation of your thought life and your decisions. So do, does my reflection time, is, is that invaded with the word of God? And then secondly, we got to remember that this journey that we're on, and, and discipleship is a journey from the day we come to faith until the day we see Jesus face to face, as we sang about earlier, that, that journey of discipleship, God's given you traveling partners. He's given you brothers and sisters in Christ, so to speak, to use the family uh, term, to walk together. So the moments when you need somebody to say, you know what, Tom, I'm not, I'm not sure you ought to be thinking that way, right? There's somebody that loves you that, that can say that. There's somebody that when, I, when I'm struggling and I'm wrapped up with guilt, somebody say, Tom, remember what you preach. Remember what the gospel truly is. It's, it, it's yes, confess your sin, but then let it go because you're forgiven and you stand in the grace and the mercy of God. Who are the people in my life? Where are my traveling partners that speak truth to me, that correct, that encourage, that sharpen me? That's why we're, we're so serious about providing really great Sunday school opportunities and small group opportunities. This is why Gigi stood up here and spoke to you, not just because we're going to go, oh, great, we have a women's teaching ministry. No, because we want you to be there. We want you to learn from the Word of God so that our thinking can be conformed to His image. So 36 years later, 36 years almost after telling my new bride that she needed to sit alone in church, that I'd be home when I'm home, she didn't need to worry about where I was going, and I got the birthday wrong, I had a really good week. <laughs> I mean, I had a really good week, right? I, uh, I, I, we were lying in bed a few nights ago, and she had her little pad open, and she was looking at Lululemon, right? Now, Cindy works out all the time, which is why she looks radically different than me, <laughs> in a good sense of the word, uh, but... She, she's not going to go to Lululemon and spend that on She's not going to spend that kind of money. She'll get it online. She'll do whatever. And I'm looking. She's like, oh, these new, the pants are new. Those are kind of cute. And I said, let me see them. And I'm like, oh, whatever. And I'm like, All right. And then I snuck to Lululemon the next day. Right. And I walked in and I said, she wants these pants. And I don't care what they cost. I need them in this size. And I, and I actually had a guy wait on me. And he goes, man, it's good you're here because we got like six pairs left. And maybe just one in her size. And I just took it home and I put it on the bed and she came home and she found it, right? But wait, I'm just getting warmed up. Hang on, I'm going to tell you more. And I said to her Thursday, you want, you want to go on a date night tomorrow night? She said, I'd love to go on a date night. I said, okay, great. So uh, I go down to the, there's a place in Brentwood and it's got some really good bath stuff. So I went and got some of that and brought it home. And then I went and, and I didn't buy a bouquet. I arranged a bouquet. Okay, yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> And then, I, and then I thought, what does Cindy like to do more than anything else these days? Where, what, what's like her favorite place to go? And her favorite place to go is the five-star movie lounge at the Tapera Theater. Because it absolutely doesn't matter what the movie is, 
right? Because you're in these big old chairs, you put them back, you, 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 know, you push the button and they come and bring you whatever food that you want. I mean, it literally doesn't matter what movie it is. So I'm like, we're going to the five-star lounge. She goes, oh, that's so great. So we get the five-star lounge. She opens her purse. She pulls out this big old blanket. She wraps herself in a blanket. She's got her footy socks, keep her feet. She puts her footy socks on, pushes the button, reclines back and pushes the service button with good bath salts, with new Lululemon pants, right? And flowers, right? What happened? Somebody taught me how to think. Somebody took the time to say, you're an idiot as a, past, as, a, as a husband. You might be that in name, but you ain't that brother in life. And you got to learn. You got to learn to think in a different way. And there have been men in my life, godly men, who took the time to say, Tom, there's got to be a different way to think. And you need to submit your thinking about your marriage to the lordship of Jesus. So I'm not really bragging this morning, even though I'm being a little silly about it. I'm praising God that one of the things, there are several things in my life I love to do, but one of the things I love to do is to try to be a good husband. That's a radical shift for anybody. If, if the kids from my youth group would look out mountain, walked in here this morning and sat down, they'd be shocked, right? It's a different person. God is calling all of us. It might not be a marriage for you. It might be the way you handle your money. It might be your relationship with your kids. A lot of different ways that we need our thinking to mirror more the thinking of Jesus. But are we willing to go on that journey to think like a disciple, to have a growing Christ-like mindset in order that our lives reflect his grace and mercy? Because quite certainly, our culture, our world is in desperate need of people that think like and live like the grace and the mercy that we see in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the power of your word to transform our lives. And we, it's that for which we pray this morning. Lord, that we would be changed by your power in the way we think. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took time in the Sermon on the Mount to say, I'm going to offer some correction here. You have heard it said, but I say to you, Father, we, we pray that you would help us submit our minds to your lordship, that our lives would reflect your grace, to your glory, for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.